0: Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway. We're glad that you're here with us this morning, especially if it is your first time. If you don't know, my name is Brian Dillon and I'm the campus minister here. And I'm just glad that all of you are here with us This morning, Uh, Ashley and I uh, were out of town last week, and I was so glad to have our student minister, Luke Martin, step in and do a great job for us. Uh, We were out celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary, and uh, and thank you, thank you. I can't believe she's put up with me for that long either, Uh, but, uh, you know, we decided to do it right, and you can have your Arubas and Jamaicas and Montegos, but... Uh, We decided that we were going to go to Disney and to Universal Studios without the kids. Uh, And, uh, you know, you might think I'm a bad parent, but I don't care because uh, it was great. It was great to be able to walk around. Truly, there is some magic that is lost without your kids there, but there is some magic that is found, too. Magic like... When it's nap time and the kids start having a meltdown, you go, that's not me. That's not my kids, right? Uh, you you look at them like, oh, I'm sorry, but you're like, you are a sucker right now. Like, you're, you don't even know. Uh, you know, it was a good time, and uh, we were able to be, I mean, we took Ruby. She barely made the cut, but Ruby did make it because she had to. And, uh, you know, it was a good time just being able to be uh, kind of kind of kids ourselves for a while. Ashley got to meet her hero in life, uh, Belle from Beauty of the Beast. So, uh, you know, it was a good time. uh, We were glad to to be able to make it back and have some time away, but we're glad to be back as well. You know we're back now, and uh, the, the start of football season is upon us. The NFL starts today. College football been going on for a couple weeks now, and of course my high State Buckeyes they uh, they took care of business yesterday. Like many other schools, big schools did not. So I was happy to see Ohio State do it. You know, it was, but there's just some magic in college football. There's some magic in seeing a huge underdog go on the road into somebody else's house and take down Goliath, right? Like a, a Mar- going to Notre Dame, right? That's a big deal. UK went into the swamp and beat Florida yesterday. Couldn't believe that. And like Kansas going into Morgantown and beating WVU and taking care of business. And, uh, you know, uh, you might not have been as excited about that. And listen, if you're upset about that and me bringing that up and you just wish that I would have had to go through something similar while well, the Cleveland Browns play at one o'clock today. So, uh, I have my penance coming, uh, soon. Uh, Author Philip Yancey, he tells of some Americans in World War II that were in a German prison camp who, unknown to the guards, built a makeshift radio. It sounds a little bit like Hogan's Heroes, but this is a true story. One day news came over the radio that German high command had surrendered, that the war was finally over. But because of a communication breakdown, the German guards that were in in charge of the prison camp They didn't know the news yet, and it wasn't until four days later that the Americans woke up to find that the Germans had fled and the gates were unlocked. And so before that, they had three days where they knew the war was over, but the Germans did not, and during those days, the Americans, man, they were a ch- they were changed men. They, 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 everything, their entire perspective had changed, and they approached life differently because they knew that the war was over. They knew the end was in sight. And so suddenly they're, they're waving to the guards and they're laughing at the dogs and they told jokes over meals. They sang songs. Their attitudes were completely different. Yes, they were still suffering and they were mocked and abused still like they had always been, but they were changed now. Why did they change? Because they knew that the victory was sure and it was coming soon. Last week, Luke, he brought the message as we began this theme of wrath, but there was just too much information in this section of Scripture to cover it all with one message, and so we added another message to to complete the whole thing, but also to add to our number for this entire series, because... You know, if there's one number you shouldn't end on when we're talking about the book of Revelation, it's six, okay? And so now we have seven messages in this themes of Revelation series because it just felt right. Uh, You know, and we could really spend, we could go on for a bunch of messages if we went through every detail of every point of scripture in the book of Revelation, because it is dense and it is heavy and we could be here for a while. I mean, if we did that, we could go on for like seven years and probably still not cover everything that there is to cover. And if we did that, if we covered everything in great detail, well, some of you might refer to that is the great tribulation. okay? And so we're not going to do that to you. We're not going to put you through that. In this series, we've been covering just the themes of Revelation. And today's theme is a continuation of what we started last week in wrath. And so this is wrath part two. Now, you might be upset. We didn't put it to be continued at the bottom of last week. Uh, You might be upset about that. We didn't give you a cliffhanger. Uh, But last week, we covered chapters 6 through 11, and this week, we're going to be looking at chapters 12 through 18. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can turn over to Revelation chapter 12, and then we're going to be there in just a few moments. Now, there are different interpretations of the events of Revelation. We haven't got into those too much, but we did want to just touch on them for a second this morning. If you are in a pre-millennial interpretation, these 13 chapters, 6 through 18, they encompass a seven-year time of tribulation. And in this view, the church has been raptured and unbelievers are left behind to deal with the trouble. According to this view, these unbelievers will have an opportunity to hear the gospel and finally get right with Jesus. But it's going to be very difficult for them due to all that is happening in the world. In an amillennial interpretation, which is the view we're putting forth as an alternative to premillennialism, Christians, the church, will experience this time of tribulation according to what Jesus told us in John 16.33. In fact, great tribulation is going on right now all over the world, and it's sneaking up on us even here in America. And so what we're seeing in this apocalyptic apocalyptic book is Is a technique used by God in the past called recapitulation. Now, recapitulation, if you remember, is Him showing God showing what's about to happen from different different visions or perspective, different angles, kind of like watching a replay on TV of a a sporting event. When when you see a play happen, they show the uh, replay from different angles, and, and it's the same event just from different perspectives. And so what he's showing through the seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls is the second coming of Christ and the world situation leading up to it. And as we see the images of this section of Scripture get more and more intense, we can verify that persecution of Christians and the unraveling of economies and other national and world systems is also getting more intense. Now, regardless of your view or your interpretation of these events, we can all agree that although the times will get tough, God will ultimately pour out His wrath on the unrighteous, and Jesus will return to take His people home. Eric Alexander says, the real horror of being outside of Christ is that there is no shelter from the wrath of God. That's the reality, and that is more important than our speculation on millennial views, right? In John 14, Jesus told his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also." Now this morning, as we work our way through chapters 12 through 18, I'm going to give you a headline at the end that sums all of this up. And we've kind of been doing different themes, obviously, each week, but we could kind of give a headline to each theme as we went through it. Like in chapters 1 through 3, we get a a picture of Jesus in all of His glory, and the theme for that week was the crown. He is Lord over the church and Lord over all creation. And so if we had a headline for that section, it would be that Jesus reigns over all. In chapters 4 and 5, we saw the great throne room in, in heaven where all of the redeemed and all of creation worshiped the one on the throne and where all attention was focused on the lion of the tribe of Judah, also known as the lamb, who looked as if he had been slain but was still standing. And that week, our theme was the Lamb. And if we had a headline for that section, it would be that every knee will bow. In chapters 6 through 11 last week, we began looking at the wrath of God through the seven seals and the seven trumpets. And if you remember, after each of these visions, God provided what we called a commercial break. It was... Chapter 7 after the seals, and chapters 10 and 11 after the trumpets. It's almost like God is giving us some time to process all these horrendous images and visions, but also reminding us that if we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, then we are safe. And so our headline for this section would be God protects his people. And so now as we turn to chapter 11 and we look all the way through to chapter 18, here's the headline that we want to share this morning. The dragon is defeated. And no, we're not talking about the new Game of Thrones series. Uh, This, The dragon is defeated, and we're going to see that as we go through chapters 12 and 18 this morning. Now, as we get started this morning, I want us to sit back and listen and follow along as we go through. We listen to... Uh, Revelation 12 and 13 together.
1: And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head's seven diadons his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child he might devour it she gave birth to a male child one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron but her child was caught up to god and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by god in which she is to be nourished for a time and times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Revelation 13 And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power, and his throne, and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God blaspheming his name and his dwelling that is those who dwell in heaven also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them An authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that was slain if anyone has an ear let him hear If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain also it causes all both small and great both rich and poor both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six, six, six.
0: You know, I certainly could have read that, uh, but that guy just has the drama in it, right? You got the music in the background. I mean,. Uh, you know the imagery is crazy as you read through the Bible. I, I've often, as I read through the Old Testament or even the Book of Revelation, I think, man, you could make movies and and different things just from this. You know, you don't need, uh, you don't need anything else. This is it. You know, it's just some crazy stuff. Uh, I know that some of you enjoy listening to that. Uh, maybe instead of like reading, you enjoy listening to that uh, audio recording. I know that because some of you try to listen to it during the service. Uh, You've already made your vote. That like he reads it better than you, Brian. Uh, Anyhow, so we've appeased you. You know, hopefully you were able to capture all of these images in your mind. I know it's a lot, and maybe you're uh, maybe a more visual person, but I hope you were able to capture these in these two chapters. John introduces us to six characters. First, a pregnant woman who is who is about to go into labor. This. Woman is, in my opinion, a reference not to Israel or even to Mary, but to the church. Second, a male child that she gives birth to. Clearly, this is a reference to Jesus. Third, a red dragon with seven heads and ten horns who wants to kill the male child, the woman, and the rest of her offspring, but he's unable to do so. Fourth is Michael the archangel who leads the armies of God to kick Satan out of heaven. Fifth, a beast that comes up out of the sea, and sixth, another beast that comes up out of the earth. And we're going to cover these two beasts here in just a few minutes. Now here's what's really happening in these chapters. John is pulling back the veil on the evil and the darkness that surrounds us, but so many of us seem to be oblivious to. There is so much going on that we don't even like to think about. And we don't notice it either because it's so well disguised or we're too distracted to see it. And so he's about to wake us up to what's really going on. And this is a section of Scripture that if it was a, a TV show, you would change the channel, you would cover your eyes, you would fast forward through it because it makes us uncomfortable. We don't like to think about this. We would, want, we would choose to watch something different. We would much prefer to just pretend like everything is okay. It's okay. Everything's all right. But everything is not okay. You see, it's sometimes if it, if it were up to us, Uh, what our faith would really be about is just about coming to church once a week if if nothing else gets in the way, if we don't have anything else on the calendar. And and we would just sit back and we would take a few notes when we're here. We'd we'd find a comfortable seat in the back. We'd put a few dollars in the offering plate and try to give our attention to what's being said. And and we'd hope that the, the music is good and that the service doesn't run too long. And then maybe, maybe we'll come back again next week. And many of us might like for that to be the sum total of our faith because it's comfortable and and it's simple and it's easy. Just just keep keep it simple and easy for me, please and thank you. But it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. A.W. Tozer said that this world is not a playground, it's a battleground. And we're not here to frolic, we're here to fight. And so... We, we can get this confused and we can get used to the comfort and the convenience of this world. We crave that. We don't want to go deeper because we don't want to think about what truly is out there. We think that the point of our hard work and our long days is to take it easy and enjoy ourselves. And life becomes more about the frolic than the fight. And we start becoming more concerned with this life than the next. But it's not just us that this has happened to. Humans, well, we've been humaning ever since the garden. And so when Jesus describes the reality of the battle that's taking place, he's doing it for the Christians of his time. I should say John. When John describes the reality of the battle that's taking place, he's doing it for the Christians of his time as much as he is for us today. And remember the headline for today, the dragon is defeated. The dragon is defeated. He's defeated, and then he's defeated again, and he's defeated again. That is what Satan's story is. That is what his fate is. He is furious about what he's caught up in, that he just keeps getting defeated over and over again. He knows that he's already lost because of the cross. He's been pinned down like a vicious dog on a leash, knowing that the end and his ultimate defeat is imminent. Verse 12 says, the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. You might be thinking, man, if the the devil's chained up, if he's under control, if he's pinned down, then why is there so much evil in the world still? Well, there's two reasons. First, evil is a result of man's sinful rebellion against God. Humanity is reaping what it has sown. And second, the devil, he still has many demons, fallen angels who do his bidding. He might be pinned down, but he's got people helping him out. Revelation 12.4 says that a third of the angels followed him in his rebellion against God and were kicked out of heaven by Michael the archangel. Some of these are referred to by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 when he wrote, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And unlike God the devil, he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He doesn't even come close to God. He doesn't have the same authority as God. He's powerful, but not anywhere close to powerful, as powerful as our God. But he is powerful, and he's not to be trifled with. He's deceptive, he's tricky, and he's constantly scheming to catch us in one of his snares. Even in his limited capacity, he commands a large force of demonic hordes and is working feverishly against the believers and against the church. And even more so, as his final fate draws near, he's getting more desperate and trying to find ways to steer us away from Jesus. He will be loosed one day, right at the end, but it will be short-lived. In the meantime, these two beasts that we talked about earlier, they are critical to his strategy to defeat us. He is out to defeat you and me and our church and every Christian who is living for Jesus and every church that teaches God's Word. And he's using these two beasts to do it. Who are they and how is he trying to defeat us with them? Well, these beasts are the devil's puppets. Some have called this the trinity of evil with the devil sitting at the top. Most scholars, regardless of how they interpret the book of Revelation, they agree on what these these beasts represent. And so the sea beast represents political systems. In John's day, it was the Roman Empire. The seven heads are seven emperors from Tiberius to Domitian. And there are ten horns counting these seven emperors, plus three generals who attempted a coup after the death of Nero. All of them representing the force of the Roman government against Christianity. And in generations since the Roman Empire and now today, the sea beast is any political system or government used by Satan to destroy the church. The land beast represents false religion. Again, in John's day, this would have been the worship of the emperor and of the Roman gods. And this beast looked like a lamb, but was actually a dragon on the inside. And this beast is later referred to as the false prophet. In our day, this beast is any type of false religion that takes the focus off of the one true lamb of God, Jesus. Now, as we consider these two beasts, political systems and false religion, I can't help but be thankful for this country that we live in and the freedom that we have, at least for now, to worship God freely as Christians. But think about this. What is the dragon, what is Satan trying to do by giving authority to these two beasts? Why is the devil using governments and religion as his partners in crime? Think about it. It's ultimately about cleverly and quietly forcing people to put their hope in something other than God. And we might hear that. We might think, man, if I put my hope in the government, that's going to be a bad thing. And and some in the church might be quick to say, this means that we can't trust the government. We need to keep them as far away from us and our affairs as possible. But this also applies to allowing politics to be the driving force in all of our interactions and our conversations. It's about getting people to think that they don't need God. But what we really need is the government. What we really need is the right person to be elected, to step into power. Or what we really need is to put our hope in something other than God. That these things will be the things that save us. But here's the thing if that's what, our, what the driving force is, if that is where we put our hope in, and if it comes all about the elephant and the donkey, then we tend to forget all about the lamb. And so it all comes down to worship. That's the word used twice in Revelation 13.4. They worshipped the dragon. They worshipped the beast. And so whether it's in first century Rome or 21st century America, this dragon is consumed with using any means necessary to persuade people, even Christians, even those in the church, to shift their worship and their allegiance away from God and on to the government and on to the religions that they put their hope in. Friends, if we have ears to hear, then we should hear what we're reading here, what's being said to us. See, this is all the dragon's goal, to to steal the glory of God and the worship that is due him and put it somewhere else. And so as much as we love our country and we pledge allegiance to our country and to our flag, let us not ever confuse where we put our hope. Let's stay engaged in the political processes as we're able, but let's not put our hope in any man or woman who may wear a title of president or congressperson or senator or governor or anyone. Let us not put our hope in a human to save us because the only one that can truly save us is the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And I'm not speaking to just one set of people. I'm speaking to everyone from every political party. We know what the devil is up to. At least I hope we can see that he's trying to divide us. He's trying to divide us so he can conquer us. If he can divide the church, man, he's got us right where he wants us. We are all about unity under Jesus Christ. But if the dragon can come in and divide us, then he can conquer more of us. And today, he has more weapons in his arsenal than ever before. Friends, it is truly devastating to see division not just in our country, not just in our world, but in the church. There is division in our church over conservative and liberal, over COVID-19 and vaccines, over skin color, over social class. It's everywhere, and we're allowing it to come in and divide us. But it shouldn't be that way. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11 that we don't have to be outwitted by the devil. We should know what he's up to. We should know what his game is. And if we stand against that and say, I will not be divided against my fellow brother or sister in Christ, we can fight against it. Friends, we need to see the things for what they are and know how the devil is working. You know, it's amazing when you think about it how the Christians that John first gave this book of Revelation to, they turned the world upside down. Now, as you know, Rome eventually they became a Christian nation for a, little, for a short time, but these Christians that were being persecuted at this time, they weren't some huge group. They weren't some huge force or movement compared to the rest of the Roman Empire and to the world. They were just a small group of people. And they had no vote on who was going to be the emperor. They had no political power. They had no constitution. They had no bill of rights. They couldn't run for office. They didn't have social media to start a revolution on or to vent on or to influence others on. But neither Nero nor Domitian nor any other emperor could hold them back. Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And the beast, it turns out, is no match for a church that is on fire and on mission for Jesus, a church that is united under the name of Jesus Christ. And so the government is not the hope of the world. A political party or a political or a politician is not the hope for the world. Jesus is the hope. For the world. Jesus is the hope for our country. And that is why we are here. And so if we want to make a difference in the world, let's get invested in our church with time, with our time and our money and our abilities so we can be all that God wants us to be while we still have the opportunity to make a difference. At the end of chapter 14, we read about what's called the mark of the beast. And the number of his name. And that number, as we heard, is six, six, six. (laughs) And there are no, we've heard that number, right? There are no shortages of opinions as to what this number means. And a lot of people throughout the course of history have tried to attribute this number to certain people. But that can get a little messy and complicated. And so let's back up and think about it. If the number seven is the number of perfection or completion, it's God's number, then the number six, which John tells us is man's number, is the number that doesn't quite make it to seven. Doesn't quite make it. It's close, but it comes up short. I mean, if it's seven that you're looking for, if you want seven of something, right? Six isn't going to get the job done. Six isn't going to make it. And so six is the number of incompleteness. Seven is completeness. Six is incomplete. And this is the number given to the dragon. Now, if you put three of those sixes together, the number three is also a number of completeness. And so you have three and then you have six, right? So the number three is the number of completeness. The number of six is the number of incompleteness. Then what you get is a number that is completely incomplete. It's completely incomplete. That's what you got. Completely incomplete. And that is the number that marks the beast. The beast is completely incomplete. That is to say that he offers cheap imitations of what God alone can truly give. He promises to deliver what God alone has. And so we can turn to the beast to try to find only what God can give. But in the end, we're going to find that it's completely incomplete. Incomplete. It's ultimately just a cheap substitute. After all these images of dragons and pursuits and beasts, guess what we get next in chapter 14? Well, we get another commercial break, and it serves the same purpose as the previous two, and that is to remind us that God will ultimately protect his people. Notice the second coming of Christ from the very first verse of Revelation 14. Then I looked. And behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. There's a mark for those who follow the dragon, and there's a mark for those who follow Jesus. And we're not going to take the time to read all the way through it this morning, but if you read through the rest of that chapter, you'll see yet another perspective of the second coming. Verse 7 says, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Another instance of this recapitulation. And before we close this morning, I told you that John, he introduces us to six characters in this section, but there's really... Seven, because of course there's seven. We've got to make it complete. And this seventh character is a woman. We first meet her in Revelation 14:8, and we get a fuller description of her in chapter 17. She's referred to as Babylon the Great in chapter 14, but as the great prostitute in chapter 17. The King James calls her the great whore, and that might be the first time you've ever heard that word used in church, so you got something new this morning. Right? That's not really a comfortable word for us to hear in church or to use in church. Uh, the modern versions, they, they soften it for us. But in this case, that's not good because this woman represents another one of our enemies, a dangerous enemy for each one of us that we can't let our guard down against. And that enemy is immoral culture. Listen to how she's described. is how this prostitute is dressed, beautifully and expensively. And she's holding out this golden cup to us, offering it to us. That's the picture that's painted here. And this golden cup is like an invitation for us to drink from it. And so she's she's dressed beautifully and expensively. She smells really nice. And she's holding out this golden goblet with a smile on her face, encouraging us to take a drink. There is such an allure and a draw to her. We're drawn to her because inside that golden goblet, we think, this is it. This is what I've been missing out on. This is what I want to experience. I want what's in that cup so badly. And so we lift it to our lips. But chapter 17, verse 5 says that it is full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. In other words, what is inside the cup is utterly disgusting. But this is how she operates. She tries to seduce us. She makes it look like she has what we really want. And then if we would just, just take one drink from this golden cup, we would be satisfied. We would find great pleasures we have never known. And if we don't, well, then we're missing out. But inside that cup is poison, isn't it? What's inside that cup leads only to destruction and to death. And to the first century of believers, this woman represented the culture of Rome around them. The New Testament writers were constantly urging their readers to stay away from drunkenness and the love of money and the lure of pleasure and sexual immorality. Time and time again, that's what they hammered on stay away. And for us, this woman represents our culture, which, let's be honest, is very similar in a lot of ways. And in chapter 18, verse 4, we read, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Friends, we can't be drinking from the cup and try to be living for the king at the same time. You can't have it both ways we're going to talk more about this woman next week when we see her judgment come. But I want want to call you back to the headline from this section. I don't know if you remember it, but it's that the dragon is defeated. The dragon is defeated. This is the headline that echoes throughout the entire book. As you read all of this imagery and this language, and you might get scared or get confused, always remember the dragon is defeated and the lamb wins. It may not feel like it at times. It may not feel like the dragon is on the losing end, but he is. That's what's going to happen. That's what happens. That's how the story is going to end. The lamb will reign victorious. So just like those soldiers at the beginning of the message, we can take on life, and though we're going to still take our licks and still have to go through things, though we're still in our situation, we can keep our chin up, we can keep a smile on our face because we know that in the end, victory is ours. The world just doesn't know it yet. So take on a new attitude in your life. Cheer up, chin up, and look up because victory is sure and it's coming soon. Now is the time to choose our side. And if you haven't chosen a side yet, if you haven't chosen Jesus, here's the thing, you have chosen a side. And it's the losing side. See, if you've chosen the side of the Lamb, then you can hang on and you can hold on with this resolve knowing that your foundation is placed on Jesus Christ, that you cannot be shaken from it, that it will not let you down, it will not fail, because Jesus will not fail. There's going to be ups and downs, and there's going to be beasts coming out of the water and beasts coming out of the land, and there's going to be things that you might think, I can't make it through this. But when your foundation is on Jesus, throughout all sorts of devastating events, you can know that you can overcome this because He has overcome. In the end, we win because Jesus wins. That's what we read in chapter 12. It says, We overcome this dragon, we overcome the devil and his schemes. In two ways, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even until death. So, by the blood of the Lamb, that's what Jesus has done for all of us. He died for each one of us, and we will see a victory. By the word of their testimony, that's what Jesus has done to us. He has given us a story to share with others, those that don't know Jesus yet, those that don't know the victory through him. And they loved not their lives even until death. That is our commitment to Him, that no matter what the world throws, us way, throws our way, no matter what the world offers us, we will remain committed to Him even until death. Friends, this morning I hope you have ears to hear and that you'll hear it and act on it because the Lamb will reign victorious and we can place our firm foundation on Him because in the end, He will reign supreme over all of them. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful we can be here this morning. And that we can hear from your word. And Father, I know there's a lot of things in there that that we might find confusing and we might not understand. But if we take nothing else away from this, I pray that we would know that the dragon is going to be defeated. The dragon will be defeated. That he loses and that your son Jesus will reign victorious. So Father, I pray that we would take that truth out of here this morning. And we would take it into all of, all of our lives, into our workplace, into our sports practices, and into our schools. And we would know that no matter what gets thrown our way, no matter the beast that we might see, no matter the, the, the things that this world might offer to us, We can know that we can overcome this because your son Jesus has overcome the world. Father, in our lowest times, I pray that we would take heart because Jesus has overcome the world and he loves us so much that he went to the cross for each one of us. That while we were still dead in our sin, he went to the cross for us, not just to abolish all of our sin. But to defeat death and overcome this world. So when the storms of life come. And when the dragon and his, his demons really come at us. I pray that we never lose sight of who you and your son Jesus truly are. And that we would never give up on you because you'll never give up on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, boy, I hope today you'll change that because there's no better day than right now today to make that change. If God is saying something to you this morning and saying that you need to come to Him, then I pray that you will listen, that if you have ears, you will hear it. Because this, This great woman of Babylon, this culture that we see, see it tells us that there's a lot of different ways to be saved. A lot of different paths to salvation, but the truth is that there is only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. Because only the Lamb reigns victorious. And all these other things that people tell us, they're all going to fade away one day. They're all going to crumble. And Jesus will remain. If you don't have that relationship with Him, that's the only way to spend eternity with the Father in Heaven. So if you've never come forward and placed your life in His hands, if you've never submitted to Him and said, I want Him to be the Lord and the King of my life from this day forward, I'd love to talk to you about that and talk to you about what baptism looks like and what it means that you can be a new creation in Christ this morning if you're here this morning and you're really dealing with the storms, you really feel like things are crumbling down around you and you have a faith in Jesus, but man, it's it's taking a toll on you right now. I would love to pray with you. We have these spiritual forces that are going on around us, but God has given us this amazing weapon against them in the form of prayer. And So I'd love to pray with you this morning. Whatever's going on in your life or the life of somebody that's close to you, I'd love to just come with you and invite God into that situation. He knows what you're going through. We just have to look to Him through this power of prayer. So if you have a decision to make, or you just need some prayer this morning, I'll be right down front. I would love to talk to you this morning. But I just ask that we all stand and sing our final song together